It's that time again. It's ASGCA Insights, the official podcast of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. And now, from our studios in beautiful Brookfield, Wisconsin, it's your host, Mark Whitney. Welcome to ASGCA Insights. My guest today is the Associate Editor for Architecture at Golf Digest Magazine, Derek Duncan. Derek has written for local, regional, and national golf publications, as well as online sites, and in recent years, can also be heard regularly on his Feed the Ball podcast. Derek, welcome to ASGCA Insights. Thanks, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Derek, what what came first for you? Was it the, was it the love of the game of golf or a passion for writing, or, or did they run on parallel tracks for you? I would say they were, they were on uh, parallel tracks. Um, I, I think I probably wanted to be a, a a novelist, a great American novelist first. Uh, going back when I think about it, but at that same time, I played golf starting at about age ten or twelve. I was immediately attracted to golf course. I wouldn't say golf course architecture at that time, golf courses, golf course books, uh, red golf digest, hundred greatest lists. Um, I would read, check out books like that from the library. I would create my own golf courses, you know, with my, my set of crayons and colored pencils and create things that, you know, types of golf holes that even, you know, Pete Dye would, would blush at. Um, not so different than I think many people in this society probably did that as well. So they, they those two tracks ran parallel as I was growing up and, I spent some time um, in the. I actually started college, however, in the uh, School of Architecture with the intention of, of becoming a golf course architect, and and that uh, discipline only lasted a year before I switched back to a liberal arts degree. So yeah, I've kind of bounced back and forth between the two, and then uh, for the last almost twenty years now, I, I've been writing about golf, golf travel, golf courses. You know, we spoke here recently on Insights with with Jack Nicholas, and I I asked him when he first started to realize and appreciate that a golf course was not just one hole after another, but that there was a rhyme and a reason to the layout, design, and functionality of a golf course. So let me ask you the same question, and I think you just began to answer it a little bit, but when did you begin to look at a golf course with a more curious eye? I would say, honestly, it was probably, I, I moved from Colorado where I grew up and, and played golf, experienced the golf courses of Colorado. They're, they're distinct in their own way. Moved to Florida in the year 2000. And that's when I really started to kind of get outside of my comfort zone and experience a completely different style of golf. Obviously in Florida, uh, with the land being relatively flat around the coast, um, many housing development golf courses, water everywhere, lots of sand. So that was a different style of golf. And it was, it wasn't really, I wouldn't say that I had a, uh, an experience like, like Mr. Nicholas, where he began to understand how holes were pieced together and, and how they could form uh, an 18 hole story. It, it, that happened just slowly over time. It, it was never an aha moment. And I, I really think you only get that experience. It, really, it's hard to get that in Florida. Like I just said, so many of the golf courses that I was seeing were connected to developments and you're, they're strung out and you're in a cart for most of the time. And um, while maybe not our favorite style of golf, it, it's, it's a useful way to learn about golf courses, but you really don't get that feeling for how holes are connected to the land how they interact with each other, how the, the pacing of a round can be set up until you get on really nice golf courses on nice pieces of land where uh, development isn't a factor. And, and that just honestly, Mark, 
is slowly accumulated over the course of, of time, seeing more and more golf courses, it, it kind of sneaks into your, or it's not snuck into my uh, consciousness in, in a very slow and subtle way. And how quickly did you realize that the ball doesn't carry quite as far in Florida as it does in Colorado? Immediately, man, it's a, <laughs> it is a, it is an emasculating feeling when you're, you know, a, a, a young man and, you know, hitting a 160 yard nine iron at altitude. And then that same shot goes 125 yards down at sea level. It's tough to adjust. And I was reading, uh, the, reading some of your writings here just in, in recent days preparing for, for this discussion. Uh, I'm guessing you didn't realize when you first moved to Florida back in 2000 uh, just how important a Honda Civic was going to be to your career. But it played a pretty important role, didn't it? It did, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. My <laughs> my wife called it the grape. It was sort of a purplish-blue color. And, uh, yeah, I just I put a lot of miles on that. We were based in Gainesville and started off – really in North Florida, uh, from there to Jacksonville up through the panhandle. And then gradually, you know, covering the Orlando, Orlando area, the Tampa area a little bit, occasionally getting down in South Florida. But, um, at that time I was being paid, I think $25, a, a, an article for a website, a startup called travelgolf.com and they're opening their Florida site. And so I just would call up golf courses, you know, this is the early days of the internet too, fairly early when golf courses and, and resorts aren't sure what they're going to be getting back if, if they let a writer come in and they're not sure what kind of story they're going to get. So I had to kind of fast talk my way into some of these places. Um, and, but I did that as much as I could and, and put a lot of miles on the Honda. And uh, that was a really great way uh, to see the state and to explore golf. And I often brought my father-in-law along, who was uh, my wife's from Gainesville. So her parents still live there. So he was my quote unquote photographer. We called him flash, even though he never took a picture, <laughs> just my way of getting him <laughs> into the car and onto the golf courses with me. When you look Derek at, at the long history of golf and, and all the appealing qualities that it, that it has, we see on so many courses how history has played a role, but also we, we realize that it's also ever changing over the past couple of decades, just in our world alone, we've seen everything from the explosion of communication options that we'll talk about here in a, in a moment to the various economics ups and downs that, that folks and businesses have faced. And now, of course, dealing with with a pandemic. Is it even possible for someone in your position to try and summarize or put a finger on how golf course design and architecture has evolved in just these past 20 years? Oh, sure. Yeah. That, I mean, that that's what that that's what our job is, is, is to do that for my, for, and if you're in you know, my position, at least that's what I think my job is. In the, in the last 20 years, it's been a really interesting time. It's so different than it was uh, in the late eighties and, and throughout the nineties. Uh, I don't have to, to tell your listeners that we, we remember that time as, as being just uh, really golf development out of control. Uh, There's a lot of prospecting and money was flowing and, you know, the, the NGFs just terribly misguided, suggestion that we open a, a golf course a day, you know, that we were going to be short on golf courses. And it turns out the opposite was true. We overbuilt. And it was really around, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, when we see this shift development slows down. And, and for the first time in decades, honestly, decades, golf courses begin to be built based on the quality of the land, the golf courses for the sake of golf courses. They're not amenities to sell other things they're not appendages for something else they're they're being developed by at, at least at the at the top end they're being developed by developers who 
merely want to create a great golf experience and they're doing more due diligence on the types of land uh, that they can develop. And, and concurrently with this, uh, the, the business discovers that there are enough golfers who are interested in this that they're willing to travel. They're willing to go out of pocket. They're willing to get on airplanes and fly to these places if the golf is good enough. And, and that's a radical shift of, of the model of the, the 80s and 90s. So th that's the story of the last 20 years. And as that model develops, golf has seen some, uh, the, the exploration of the globe really, and, and the search for these uh, tremendous sites, the coastal sites, sites on sand, wherever they may be. And, and there's a greater interest in, in pursuing that and golfers have gone along with that. They've responded. They, they've reacted in a positive way to the style of golf that, that, that those sites and that type of architecture promotes and enables. And, and so that's what we've done in the last 20 years. We've gone from this, this model that's based purely on economics to a model that's based more on golf. And as we get farther down this line, we're just seeing some, some really um, interesting ambitious architecture although at this point in time it's 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 kind of starting to all look the same maybe that's okay because it is strong and 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 people seem to love it and, and there is uh some variation uh within it and within different locations but um i i always ask the question like you know can we continue to to do this is this enough for the few new golf courses that are being developed do will we lose our appetite for this or at least want to see something different uh and that's the that's what interests me is is the next phase of design where are we headed for now that's been a great 20 years um uh, but i don't uh, with as with any art it doesn't sit in one place for 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 too long speaking with uh derek duncan from golf digest magazine uh one of the most popular forms of communication that exists today is the podcast. And we introduced ASGCA Insights here just a few months ago, uh, but you are a hardened veteran in this area. Uh, when did you first <laughs> introduce Feed the Ball? And what was your goal at the time? Uh, that's a good question. I think, I believe it was the fall of, of 2017. I, I, if I have my date, my years right well, uh, getting out of a little out of uh going years go by fast if that was the case um i i wanted to feed the ball just to be you know i, I there were there wasn't maybe one other podcast uh, out there that um the fried eggs podcast that that i'd listened to and and i'd had this idea for a long time of just kind of wanting to um i the, my favorite part was always just talking to architects, just having discussions with golf course architects and designers and, and just kind of like you would in the grill afterwards. And, and I, I didn't feel like there was enough of that, even for my own taste and like any good art, you know, if you make it, make something that, that you like cater to your own, your own desires, uh, often other people will, will follow. And, and that was just simply the idea is just to give architects uh, a, a place where they could come and, and talk about design, not even just about their own designs, but almost just in a theoretical way, just, just kind of just a banter uh, and also a way to kind of create a, a, a archive, a digital archive that would last there to get these conversations on record so that in the future, somebody can look back. I mean, I always think like if you could imagine how incredible would it be if you had the technology to listen to Alistair McKinley talk or, or, or have a, have a 90 minute conversation with Tillinghast or Robert Trent Jones, you know, or Dick Wilson, if you could have like captured uh, these guys talking for 90 minutes or two hours and, and really get a sense of their personality, how valuable would that be? So that was part of the motivation as, as well as, as, as to kind of 
uh, just record this moment in time and this moment in golf course architecture. It's been, and it's been fun. I've had a blast doing it. And um, we've had some really tremendous conversations. I think we've we tried to explore a lot of different topics. I try to ask questions that uh, make the architects think so they can't uh, always kind of go into um, uh, PR mode uh, and, and just try to, try to discover who they are as individuals as well. And is there anything that grabs you as you think about them that, that puts you back on your heels and made you th think about something differently or look at things uh, in, in taking the conversation in a way you weren't anticipating? It's, I know that kind of I would, puts you on the spot there with that. No, well, I, I think, Mark, what it is, is it's just interesting uh, for me to, I mean, obviously I have certain uh, things that, that I'm attracted to. I play golf. I'm, I'm stimulated by certain types of designs, certain environments. Uh, other things, not so much, but it's, so it's really interesting to me to, to talk to some people who um, I can identify with. Um, I like what they do. I see where they're coming from creatively. And, and then uh, talking to other people who I, I've spoken to architects on the show that whose golf courses, you know, I've never really loved, but at the same time, you know, when you develop these conversations and you, you hear about their methodology, you get their ideas, you get a sense of their personality, you start to, and, and I know everybody, every, every golf course designer would love to have the opportunity to, we, I had, we had this conversation recently on a podcast, they would love to be able to go around the golf course with every golfer who plays their golf course and explain, well, yeah. here's why I did this. And here's where the, there was this drainage problem over here. And we couldn't go over there because of regulations. They would love to have that opportunity. So once you kind of start to develop these conversations, you start to get a sense for that. And, and it, it really opens up, it's opened up my, so instead of being uh, kind of changing my, my thought or my opinion mid, mid, conversation more than anything it it just gives you an appreciation for the wide range of of construction experiences design viewpoints and and every single golf site has issues that it's problem solving and and it, if if you can get a little taste of that through these conversations it it definitely opens your eyes and broadens your horizons a little bit it's finding that that balance that they strike between art and science is what's always stood out to me in those conversations and listening to you the same way yeah yeah. I mean, it's, and honestly, you know, some, so it is art and science and, and engineering and salesmanship, all that goes in. I, I, it is, you do get a sense of the, the personalities in this for some, for some designers, it's much more science based uh, others. And it, even if they wouldn't uh, describe it that way, it is other people are more creative and they're happy to like kind of leave the science part to, to other people. So, you know, there, there are a lot of different ways to go about this and, you know, ultimately there's no right or wrong way. I, I do think we're in it uh, because as I mentioned earlier, that the, the sites at the high end that, that are being developed or have been developed over the last 10, 15 years, th there's the design build mold. And I, I know that's a kind of a loaded term and it, it means sometimes not exactly what it sounds like, but, but that's that style of construction has is sort of uh, winning the day right now, so to speak. And yet there are so many people in the society that, that uh, draw plans. And uh, it's, it, it, so to me, it's kind of interesting to have those conversations and, and see, well, this golf course turned out this way and this, and it was designed done by, you know, somebody who drew these plans or even drew them on a computer or, or they you know, have the stack of blueprints and everything's like thought out down to, you know, the a matter of inches. And then there are all these other guys that are doing it, uh, you know, 
through collaboration and, you know, making moves and erasing it and, and redrawing it. And um, it, it is kind of interesting to see that the products that turn out uh, based on the different methods. When you look at the, the challenges that, that we've all faced individually or as, or as an industry here over the last several months, uh, how has the pandemic impacted the work that you do with your, with your Feed the Ball episodes? I was listening to one recently and you used the phrase, uh, keeping golf course design at the forefront of your thoughts, which sounds like a, a theme that we could use for this podcast as well. Uh, but it, it, it seems like you've been able to go a little bit longer form with some of your discussions lately. I think early on in the in the pandemic, when most people were quarantined or on, on uh, shelter in place orders, it was an opportunity to go a little deeper, to spend a little bit more time. It's as you know, it's it's always difficult to ask people to put aside what they're doing for, you know, thirty minutes. And my my conversations tend to go a lot longer than that. Um, it's a, it's a tough ask to, for people to slow down and, and kind of give up their time for you. That was an opportunity I felt, and and Jim Urbina, uh, a talented designer who I'm sure most of your uh, members and listeners know, he worked at Renaissance Design with Tom Doak for a long time. He's done his own work. He's uh, been doing a lot of restorations and consultation work recently. Uh, he came to me and said, you know, why don't we do this thing where you and I can talk to architects, and because we have all this time on our hands, it's a, it's a chance for us to go into these uh, topics they, you know, to have a, two architects or designers, shapers on talking to each other opens up the conversation in a way that I probably couldn't take it if I was just me and a guest. And it was a way just, yeah, because, you know, with so, so much uncertainty happening around the world and, and so many people worried and, and at home and frankly, probably <laughs> going out of their minds, uh, it was just an, a great opportunity to, to have a series of unique conversations. That's kind of changed a little bit the last few weeks. I, I I have a sense that most people in the business are not staying at home right now. They're, they're traveling. I know a lot of people have been on the road for, for weeks, if not months now. So th those opportunities of, of just kind of leisurely having these uh, long, relaxed, interesting conversations are, are changing. So we'll, we'll be back to normal pretty soon, I guess, is, is one way to put it. But it was nice for a while. I, I hope they took people's mind off of the other problems and got them thinking about golf course architecture in, in some kind of meaningful way. I, I think a, a little uh, peek behind the curtain, perhaps, and in, in the way that you think about things in your writing and your, in, in your, in your discussions on the podcast, uh, you said recently uh, at many of the great courses, par and yardage are not important. And you went on to talk about words like character and interest that are terms that are so difficult to define, but are really very much in the eye of the beholder at, at each individual course, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, going back to the concept of trends, I mean, that was something we all know was, was the number one criteria, you know, probably beginning in the 1960s is developers wanted a, a quote unquote championship golf course. And you still hear that a lot. And, you know, that's an undefinable term too, but what it, you know, it's code word really for 7,200 yards or more, par 72, uh, able to, to host a tournament and, and not have, you know, whether it's the local amateurs or a, a mini tour or even a professional tour come out and have guys, you know, shooting 62s. And, you know, the, the golf courses were designed to be a little tough, uh, a little challenging, and, and they probably were great tournament golf courses if set up that way. But the, the problem was, that <laughs> the other 
51 weeks of the year, the everyday person and golfer had to play at club members or a public facility. And um, I don't know, I think that that kind of golf course just, it wears on you and, and it's hard to build really interesting character and, and, and unique artistic visions into that, into that model, if that's your model. So we've, we've peeled back from that a little bit. Uh, I think, I think the, the architecture and design world is starting to see that, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, we don't have to be challenging it is, or challenging is okay, but you don't have to be difficult. Uh, and there are different ways to be challenging. You can challenge, uh, challenge them at, with the putter instead of the driver. You can create ground contours that are, are, uh, pose strategic channel challenges rather than bunkers and water hazards. There, there, there are different ways that you can create interest. And when you do that and, and golf shots are not just black and white success or failure. They're not, you take some of the, the penal elements out of it. Now you can start to get to these things that you're describing like character and, and, and in, intrigue and nuance and things like that, because you're, you're forgetting about any kind of preconceived notion of, of what, of what par should be, what, what the total distance should be, how long a hole should be. And you're just, you're just presenting interesting, unique things out there. And it, it could just be a little swale. It could be a little knob. It could be a little uh, grass depression. It could be a, a, some interesting shapes in the green. And, and when you start to calculate all that and you start to, to add all that up and you have a nice routing that, you know, you're, doesn't mean you have to get in a cart and drive seven miles to play golf over the course of a round that that's when, that's when the, the nuance and character comes into it. And you start to get golf courses that are appealing to you in ways that you weren't expecting and certainly weren't being done enough, you know, in the, over a long period of American golf. And as someone who's spent the, the last couple of decades doing a fair amount of not just driving, but traveling around, uh, but based uh, largely out of Florida, uh, you certainly saw enough Pete Dye courses out there and the work of Pete and Alice, uh, and having lost both of them here in the past year and a half or so. I know their name comes up with regularity in the conversations that you that you have with architects. Uh, a, a couple of names that we'll be continuing to be talking about long after you and I are both gone, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Um I don't, I know it's hard, it's hard to do this. I don't really like to play that game of, you know, who are the most influential designers or this or that, but there's no question that, that Pete Dye is, is maybe the most influential golf designer who's we've ever had, especially for his era. Everything stemmed from him. Robert Trent Jones proliferated golf, turned turned out so many uh, golf courses, had a brand, influenced uh, a, a generation of architects. And then Pete Dye, started doing something completely different. And I just had, a, I had a conversation uh, with, for an upcoming podcast that will be published uh, in a couple of weeks with Ron Kirby, a member. He's 87, soon to be 88 years old, still practicing rock and Ron. It was great. It, but, but, you know, he, we talked about Pete Dye and he said, yeah, like we were all looking at Pete Dye and seeing what he was doing. And nobody had thought about that before. It was just, it was a complete revelation how he approached design and how he approached drainage and how he presented bunkers. And um, it, it, it just, he was an artist. He was a, a unique artist. He was a leader. You know, it's, it's easy for people to look at what's, what's popular and what's selling and, and, you know, kind of tailor what they're doing to that. It happens in every industry, whether it's movies or, or books or television or, 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 or painting. Uh, and it happens in golf architecture too. But Pete Dye got there first. He did it his own way. He created his own vernacular and his courses will, you know, 
they'll be remembered 50, 70, 100 years from now. Hopefully they don't change. I hope we don't start trying to wallpaper over them and we just accept them and embrace them for, for what they are because they are pieces of pieces of art. I know they're not always the, the easiest golf courses to play. Before we stopped traveling this year, I had played PG, PGA West and, and recently I was up in Chattanooga and played the honors golf courses. And um, you, you, know, you, you really can't go and expect to, to shoot great scores there if, if that's important to you, unless you're really good. But at the same time, you just marvel at the shaping and the details and the hole structures and, and the way that the, the holes flow left and right. And at PJ West, you're just marveling at the entire construction site. And you can see how we just dug down because all the houses around the perimeter of the holes and the courses are, are sitting up way high. And he, he just excavated this, this golf course in the desert and he used that fill to just create these incredible vertical discrepancies. And it's just, it's just fascinating to see. And it's not just Pete, but across the board, it's the experience. It sounds like is, is what you're talking about. And, and that's what brings folks back a second, third, and however many times after that. Yeah. There's, there are only a few great innovators uh, in, in most artistic uh, forums, artistic movements. Um, and, and Pete, Pete was definitely one. Um, he just thought of things that, that, you know, nobody else was, was doing so to, to go play a golf course. And, you know, to be honest, Florida is not the greatest place because it's really hard to, to drain. Um, but other, but there's a lot to be said there and then there's a lot to be admired. So even if you're not playing well, and you know, if you can just look around and say, you yeah, know, this, this is Picasso, this, he created this vernacular, he created this, this vision and, uh, you know, and, and other people came in after that and, and helped popularize it and, and move in that, you know, accelerate the direction that he was going. But, you know, you're looking at an original Picasso when you go to a Pete Dye golf course. Derek, before we let you go, how can people either get in touch with you or access the content that you've been creating? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Thank you. Um, um, if you're on Twitter or Instagram, just at Feed the Ball, give me a follow. Uh, feedtheball.com is where I host the podcast. So you can go to feedtheball.com and uh, stream podcasts there. Uh, Apple, Spotify podcast, you can listen to Feed the Ball. Uh, always find my work on golfdigest.com and in the magazine, Golf Digest just uh, released on their digital edition so uh the july issue it's issue seven i've got a i've got a nice feature that i'm really proud of um about jim ang uh, jim ang was as hot as an architect as there was in the early parts of the 2000 and uh, really a unique artist talk about pete Dye. well jim ang was right there as a renegade thinker and a renegade artist and just had it one of the few few architects that you can look at his golf courses and say he owned that style so I've got a nice profile on Jim Ng, what he's been up to all these years and, and kind of question why he's kind of fallen off the map after being on such a great run. So that's an issue seven of Golf Digest. You can read that there. And um, you can always, and if you want to email me, I'm at Derek underscore Duncan at discovery.com. My guest has been Derek Duncan of Golf Digest and the Feed the Ball podcast. Derek, thank you so much for joining us. Mark, thank you. I enjoyed it. Good talking to you. And that concludes this episode of ASGCA Insights. I'm Mark Whitney. You can find past episodes of this podcast and more information about golf course architecture at asgca.org. You can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify as well. Thank you for listening. And until next time, so long.